So this week, we are going to continue our series in the book of Genesis, which is looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis and the beginning of all that we experience. And the reason that this series is so important is that every single person on the face of this earth who has ever lived puts their faith in something to give them meaning, to give them hope, to give them purpose. They put their faith in something. Every single one of you, whether you believe in God or not, you put your faith in something. But I believe that the word of God shows us that God is the only one who can give us meaning, can give us hope, and who can give us purpose that we were meant to have. And we can find that meaning and hope in the book of Genesis. And so that's why we're here in this series this morning. Before I go any further, Joven, can you bring me down just a touch in me? I got a little bit. I love the sound of my voice, but not that much. Thank you, brother. Now, we talked about in our first week that some of us do not look to the God of Bible for hope because they're people of science. And they're a and they believe science and the Bible are opposed to each other. And so in our last message, we spent time discussing how it is not possible for science and religion or science and the Bible to be opposed to each other. We explored that a little bit. We also explored the hope and the confidence that comes from putting your faith in the verse, in the beginning, God created. And if you missed it, I want to encourage you, download the app, watch it there, watch it on YouTube, watch it on our website, listen to it on the podcast, uh, that you may know that your faith is being put in the right place. So last week we saw how Genesis 1 answered our desire for hope. And, and this week, we're going to see how Genesis chapter 1 answers our desire for meaning. For we all have a desire for meaning. We have a desire to be valuable. We have a desire to matter. Uh, we have a desire to be worth something. And I believe we can find this worth and the answer to these desires in the creation story, especially in day six. Let me read it for you. Genesis chapter one, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to, his, to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. So as we start unpacking this and the meaning that we find in it, I want to start by looking at a very interesting reference to God that is made in verse 26 that if we're not careful, we can overlook it says, God said, let us make man in our image. Who is us? Who's us? Was God having a barbecue when he decided to do this? I mean, who is us? Now, while the text doesn't clearly say, there's, there's several thoughts on this. One, believe God's talking to the angels. They're hanging out. They're playing cards. I don't know. And he says, hey, let's make people. 
My issue here is the Bible never indicates that we're made in the same image as the angels or that the angels share the same image of God that we do. Another view is polytheism. The belief, and this was rampant during the time of the Israelites, that there are multiple gods, kind of like you see in Greek mythology. But the Bible teaches that there's only one God. And the Israelites, the original culture that Genesis was written to, only believed in one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So polytheism isn't the answer. So what is let us referring to? Well, it's interesting to note that the Hebrew word of God here, it's Elohim. Elohim. I love that word for God, Elohim. It just rolls off the tongue. Elohim. And what's interesting about Elohim is in this moment, it is used in the plural form. It's the plural form of God. Unlike other times where it's used in the singular form. Some of you English teachers are getting excited right now because I'm using words like plural and singular, aren't you? You're like, ooh, this is for me. The point is, how can God be singular and plural at the same time? Well, I believe that this is the very first time in the Bible that we are introduced to the concept of the Trinity. The Trinity being defined as the belief that there is one God, but that one God exists in three distinct persons who are equal in attributes and yet individual and distinct in their offices and their ministries. As we sang earlier, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. And this is a weird concept because it's unlike any other relationship we understand. So I've used this analogy before, though it's imperfect, to help to explain this. You know, let's say that we have three guys. You know, we have Glenn, we have John, and we have Tom. And Glenn and, and John and Tom, they decide to start a company. John's like, I'll be president. Tom's like, I'll be director of operations. Glenn's like, hey, I'll be vice president. Now, if they took these roles, John would have a greater responsibility, a greater role because he's president. But just because he's president, it doesn't make him any more or any less human than Tom or Glenn. He's carrying a different role with different duties, different responsibilities. But they're all still equal members of the human race. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God the Father all have different roles that they have played, but they're still equal members of the Godhead. And listen, I, I know my two-minute stop on the Trinity doesn't explain it. It's not a perfect illustration that I'm giving here. I mean, many theologians, even though the, the, the closest word we can figure out to describe this as person is, it, it's not a perfect word to even describe the three individual persons found in God. Because when we normally use the word person, we understand it to mean like physical individuals. You know, I'm a person. Steve's a person. Dom's a person, right? We, we, we describe it as three, uh, as physical individuals who exist separate, as separate beings from each other. 
But in God, there are not three entities, nor three beings. God is a trinity of persons consisting, consisting of one substance, of one essence. God is numerically one, and yet within the single defined essence are three individual substances or persons that make up the trinity. And I know this doesn't explain it because I'm confusing myself even more trying to explain it to you. It is a concept that we are not meant to fully understand. But it is a concept that I believe we'll understand one day, but that we should try to understand today. And the reason for this is each member of the Trinity has a specific purpose. And that if we don't understand the purpose of each member of the Trinity, we will never have a full and complete relationship with God. The Holy Spirit being the greatest example. Because if there's one member of the Trinity that, that Christians often ignore, it is the Holy Spirit. And once we put our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, the Holy Spirit is the most critical member of the Trinity in our lives, conforming us to become like Christ. So I would encourage you, dig into this. If you've never heard this before and you're like, what is he talking about? It sounds like God has multiple personality disorder. What's going on? What happened at this youth retreat? Dig into it. Understand. Do your best to understand. And you're going to find other verses that'll help bring you meaning, like Colossians 1.16, where it's speaking of Jesus, it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So many of us grew up thinking that Jesus just showed up in a manger one day. Boom, you know, remember cute little manger like you have, you bring out at Christmas time. But the Bible tells us that he has been around since the beginning of creation. He played a role in creation. Dig in, research, try to understand God. And then hold fast to what he has revealed and be okay not knowing everything he has revealed. If there is a God that is omnipotent and knows everything, there are going to be parts of him that we're not going to understand. But I believe we will one day. And until that day, we must do our best to understand what we can and live according to that. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. All right. Now that I got you guys' heads spinning on that one for a while, let us see what the Trinity does here as they make this decision. They say, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Another question. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it be made in his likeness? These two words, image and likeness, just very similar in meaning. Well, the Hebrew word for likeness, demut, it means a similarity in character, or it could be appearance or nature. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's appearance, because we know that God is spirit. He doesn't have a physical body like you or I. However, we may not be spirit, but we have a spirit. We have a soul. And I believe that this is where we are made in the Imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God. This is where we see this image come to life. It's in, this, in our soul where we have the image of God. The, and the essential attributes of our soul is the ability for reason. Even if the reason's not always very good reasoning, it's there, the ability's there. Moral consciousness. 
The reason humanity shares an understanding that murder is wrong. Creativity. Rationality. Choice and free will. The image of God that we are created reflects what's not outside the body, but what is inside. This is why in Paul's encouragement in Colossians 3, he says, don't lie to each other. When he's talking about how to treat each other, he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, your old sinful life, stop living that way and its practices. And he said, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. He's talking about our souls in our spirits. You are made in the image of God, an eternal image of God. Now, being made in the image of God also means that we have a relationship with God beyond the rest of creation. You can know God. I mean, think of it this way. Maria has given birth to four of our children, and they were all made in our likeness. They have the ability to reason like we do, to talk like we do, to think like we do, to, to feel like we do. And sometimes, in fact, in fact, it feels like they are an exact mirror of our personalities, which sometimes is good and sometimes doesn't feel so good. Like, is that what I look like? And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> now, in our home, our family is not just made up of our children. We also have a dog named Brittany, and we have two hamsters that just joined the family named Spot and Spunk. Now, these animals are a part of our family. They experience our generosity. They experience our care, but they're not made in our likeness. For example, take my dog, Brittany, the cutie that she is. I, as a human being, have the ability to seek God. I wonder about God. I wonder about my existence. I want to understand him. These are not things Brittany wrestles with. She wrestles with whether she's going to get bacon when we're eating bacon. She wrestles with if she's going to get taken outside for a walk. She doesn't wonder about God. She's a dog. She doesn't open up. I don't find her in the morning sometimes pawing through like the scriptures, trying to seek God. She's a dog. She doesn't possess the spiritual or moral capacity that we hold as image bearers of God. She doesn't feel shame like we do. And now I know some of you, what you're going to do is you're going like, to get your video of your dog hunkering down where they did something bad and you're going to be like, did you do that? And they're going to go, and you're going to send this to me as evidence. Let me assure you that there's fear in animals brought, up, brought about by instinct, but it's not shame. And, and do you know how I know it? It's because when you throw your dog outside after they relieve themselves on your carpet, when you let them back in, and you're like, yeah, it's a good boy. That's, and you turn on the, you know, the doggy voice. We all do it. That's a good boy. They're all happy that their, whale, their tag is wailing. They're not, the dog's not laying there. Brittany's not laying there. Four days later going, oh, I can't believe I went to the bathroom on that carpet. Why? They love me so much. They've done so much for me. And I just dumped on their carpet. I'm horrible. They don't do that because they're a dog. 
Now, you and I will do that, won't we? We will say something to somebody that's mean. We will do something to somebody, and we will feel regret. We will feel shame. We'll carry it for days. Sometimes we'll carry it for weeks or carry it for months. Sometimes some of you have been carrying shame for years because you have a soul, a spirit made in the image of God. We can know God. And then you see this imago Dei, this image of God, and you see this difference even in, in how we treat one another as opposed to animals. For example, when you're watching the nature channel and there's one lion who like steps out of his line and he gets over the territory of another lion and he's killed by that lion. It's not considered illegal. Like the zebra police are not showing up. They're not interviewing different members of the pride pack. They're not taking paw prints and running it on databases. There's no court case. This isn't Zootopia. We just say, well, that's nature. Because they're animals. They're not made in the image of God. But that's not how relationships work with one another. Think of Genesis 9, 6. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You see, the implications of the Imago Dei is that there's this intrinsic human dignity that places us above everything else in the creative order. And this human dignity is rooted in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. And I believe that this plays out in the world in such a way that it is evidence, more evidence, if we did not have enough already that the only place that is worth putting your faith is in God. I mean, if people, if you just look at what the Bible taught about the image of God and how we should treat people, and if uh, by some miracle, and it would be a miracle, everybody treated each other according to this image of God, you can imagine, only imagine, how different our world would be. For example, take James chapter 3. He's talking about the power of the tongue, the power of our speech when he says this. He says, with it, our, our tongue, our speech, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Think about how the world treats each other. Think about the human depravity, the depraved and disgusting things that humanity has done to each other over the century and continues and will continue to do to each other. The, the unspeakable acts I don't even want to mention out loud. And James says we shouldn't even curse one another because they're made in the image of God. Can you imagine once again, what would the world look like if they held themselves to this kind of standard, if they believed in the image of God so much that they wouldn't even curse one another? The image of God exposes at the core all human to human suffering. We always blame God. We're like, you know, look, because of God, look at all the suffering in the world. No, God says, this is how, here's how you should treat people. You shouldn't even curse at one another. And yet, because we do not take the image of God as seriously, because we've lost sight of it, we treat each other like animals. The absence of the image of God means corruption and death in humanity. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And because of sin, we become blinded to his image. When Paul is writing to the unbelievers, talking about the unbelievers of Corinthians, he says this. He says, in, the case, in their case, speaking of unbelievers, people who don't understand the truth, he says, the God of this world has blinded the devil, the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Sin has blinded us to the Imago Dei. And there's evidence everywhere. Abortion. Abortion is an evidence of a lost Imago Dei. The fact that the in 90, probably 99% of the cases that the comfort of the mother, what she wants and what she desires is more valuable than the life of a distinct human being inside her body. Slavery. Slavery that has been rampant since the beginning of time is an Imago Day issue. Anybody know this guy? He was alive in the 1800s. His name was Dred Scott. And he sued to be a free man. He sued for the right to be a free man. And in 1857, the Supreme Court of the land, shows you right now how much you can put your trust in man, voted seven to two that he couldn't sue to be a free man because he was a slave, which meant he was property. And property cannot take part in the justice system. There were two dissenting votes, and one of the dissenting votes was Supreme Court Justice McLean. And here's what he said. He says, I dissent to this, uh, uh, to this vote because a slave bears the impress of his maker. He is destined to an endless existence made in the image of God. The argument against slavery, the Imago Dei, they are made in the image of God. In modern day, pornography, it is an Imago Dei issue. I think we are fools if we try to divorce the growing statistics and obsession with pornography in our culture from the growing statistics of rape and sexual abuse. Pornography that degrades the performers as not having souls but being pieces of meat, not having real value other than to bring an individual selfish pleasure. I've never met a little girl who's grown up and, and when you talk to her as a child and she goes, I want to grow up and, and, and uh, I want to do sex videos or I want to be a stripper. I think we would be devastated at the horrific abuse that so many of these young ladies and young men have abused, have, have endured. There's no way we would watch it if we knew the stories. We'd be heartbroken. We'd be devastated at the horrific abuse. It's an Imago Dei issue. Matt Chandler said this well. He said, where the Imago Dei is not understood, it is the weak and the vulnerable who are abused and consumed. I was shocked to learn from one website of a major nonprofit organization that human trafficking earns something like last time they checked $150 billion a year, moving people around like cattle. That millions of people are trafficked every year, either by forced labor 
or sexual exploitation. Why? Because people see other people not as made in the image of God. They're like cattle. They're for a profit. They're for pleasure. This is the world we live in when the Imago Dei is ignored. It is clear as day. You want evidence for God? Look at the world when he is ignored. And the fact that even this makes some of us sad is evidence for God. Why? Because there is an echo in our souls that know that people are worth more than this. This is why you see organization after organization trying to help people who are exploited. Darwin's theory of natural law, it can't explain why we're kind to others, why we help those who are weak and hurting. But the Bible can. It's the image of God. And this is why the gospel is so important. Because when people find the gospel, they rediscover the image of God that has been lost because of sin. Speaking of Jesus the writer of Hebrews says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. When man lost the holy likeness, the holy image of God, it was God alone that could restore it. And when we saw Jesus in his word, we, we saw what man should have been, what we're made to be and what they can be. And Christ, he came to seek and to save the lost. And in his death and his resurrection, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he renews and, and he restores and he brings back the joy of the Imago Dei. This is why we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, their faith is in Christ as their Lord and Savior, he is a new creation. The new has come and the old is gone. Jesus has restored the Imago Dei. And I tell you right now, anytime that we struggle with our worth, anytime we struggle when we look in the mirror with our value, it's because we're not looking to God for our worth and for our meaning. Some of you right now, when you look in the mirror, all you see is your sin All you see is the areas that you failed, the areas that you have made mistakes. You've seen all the things that you never accomplished, that you wanted to accomplish. That's all of you see. You would, never, you would never say this out loud. Maybe you would, but you think that you're worthless. Or you're at least not worth as much as the other people around you. We all are tempted to do it. I mean, who do you look at? Who do you look at and you think, man, if I just did what they did, if I could do what they do, if I had what they had, I would be better. I would be worth more. I, I, would, have, I would have value. I would have purpose. These are all Imago Dei issues. 
Every one of us, we, we deal with insecurity. We deal with fear. We have sins and anxiety inside us, and we won't talk about them. We won't share them with other people. We won't share our hurts. We won't share none of it. We want to keep it hidden because we don't want people to see our weakness. We don't want people to see our faults. We don't want to see people uh, to see us uh, as worthless. We, we, we don't want to have our, our worth drawn down in their eyes. Why? Because our Imago Dei is not in Imago Dei. It's in Imago Mundus, which means the image of man. When, you, when, you're, when you're in, you realize that you are in the image of God, you can say, look, here are my anxieties. Here are my fears. Here are all my sins. Here are all my hurts and mistakes that have happened to me. Here they are. Here they are. They're all here. Here's my messiness. See it. Help me with it. Because it, I want to be helped with it. But it doesn't, because even though it's all here and I need help with it, I need to grow with it, it doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change my value. No matter how many times I've messed up, I've got it wrong, I've missed opportunity, none of it changed the fact that I was made in the image of God. We have girls today that are on Instagram and they're, and, and they're sending Snapchat, inappropriate Snapchat videos. They're on, they're on TikTok doing TikTok videos, you know, everywhere. And, and they're wearing practically nothing because they want likes and they want views because that gives them worth. Because they are not looking to God for their image. They're looking to others. There are men, young men today, who are doing, as young men have always done, stupid things to look cool in front of their hands, to look manly, to look tough, to look popular. Things that do not bring God glory. Why? Because they are not looking to God for their image, for their worth, for their value, for their meaning. And anytime that we do this, we're being tricked. We're, we're being fooled by the enemy. And this is, I mean, every week, I, know I always feel like a broken record when I do that. I always feel this way when I say this. But this is why week after week I say, every day, do you carve out time to pray with God? Do you? To look to him for your image? Do you, every day, open up your Bible and not just check mark, but read it and take what it says and apply it to your life. Do you do that to see what God is telling you? Do you do that? If you do, you're looking to God for your image. If not, you aren't. This is why I say every week, you have to make church a priority where it's the first thing on your calendar and not the thing that you do once every few weeks or once a month or once every other month as your religious duty or to feel good about yourself. Because it reminds you of the image of God. And I don't mean sitting at home for comfort and because it's easier. But to be here among believers. Do you have other people to pour in your life and for you to pour into others' lives? This is why we have Bible studies. This is why getting out an extra night of the week is more important than sitting on your couch and watching your favorite show. Because you need people to pour in your life to remind you of the image of God that you have in you. Because you have everything around you, including the enemy and the voices inside you, telling that your image is not in God. This is why we put on conferences. 
Not because we need something extra to do on a Saturday, but because it's important to remember of who you are in God. And every time you're doing these things, you are reminding yourself that you are made in his image. And every time you're not, you are choosing to forget that you are made in his image. And that doesn't make you worthless, but it does make you foolish. Because you are squandering, wasting opportunities to find your meaning and your worth in him. And I stand here as somebody who has been foolish just as many times as everyone else. That's why I'm a pastor, because I'm forced to be here. That's a great way to make yourself be in the places you need to be, to be reminded that you're made in the image of God. Like I, we said in this, the, the youth retreat, sometimes we got to put the work in for God to do that new thing in us. Colossians 3.10, put on the new self. We have a choice of where we look. We have a choice of where we look. You can, you can look to your hurts. You can look to your sins. You look to your fear. You can look to your past. You can look to culture. You can look to media around you. Or you can look to God the Father who created everything. You can look to Christ the Son who died on the cross that you may know him again. And you can look to the Holy Spirit who is now wanting to do a work in you to conform you to his image. And it brings you hope and meaning when you do that. As we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's that reminder that in all of those moments when we fail, and we fail often, that we're able to remind and look to God and say, man, he's the one who created me. He's the one who saved me. And he's the one who continues to be faithful and at work at me. He's where my worth is. He's where my meaning is. And then when you start to live that in your life, you start to treat the other people around you in the same way. So many of us right now, we treat people by their actions, whether we like them, whether what politics, what they think about the pandemic. But when we realize that we're made in the image of God and they're made in the image of God, then a new respect and love is developed. And it's in that kindness and love for one another that we are able to reveal the image of God to a world who desperately needs it. Amen, church? Amen.